Welcome into the Soccer OG podcast, following in the rich tradition of the Soccer OG YouTube show. My name is Max Bredos, and I am the Soccer OG. I'm doing this. You know what? Uh, there was a. Uh, it was brought to me maybe nine, ten months ago. A major broadcast. A uh, part of me, a major podcast company, wanted to do something, and they they didn't really pitch the ideas. They go, "What do you like to do?" And I go, "I could do this." What about this? I did some pilots. Nothing really clicked. It was a weird time as well. And I thought, what do I have? What do I, what have I done that separates me from anyone else? And that is being in this sport as an American as long as I have and seeing everything on a national level. I'm not tooting my own horn, but toot toot. I've taken a lot of welts through the years from going to Fox for 15 years where I called everything, everything. Taking the big jump to go to ESPN, eight years in Connecticut. I didn't even know where Connecticut was. I remember I got there and I drove around and I go, what are the names of the towns? What is Bridgeport? Do I want to go to New Britain? But I did. And because of those welts and those bruises and well-documented ones as well, I have garnered a level of experience which I can pass on to you. It sounds like Taken, doesn't it, Liam Neeson? <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you unless it hurts you with knowledge. And that's what it is. So when I was reached, when that podcast company reached out, I, and I, I wasn't sure, and they, we were t- touching on those lines, go maybe do something like this. So here we go. It's mine. It's not a solo act. We're going to have guests. But I, I'm going to con- pass on to you this valuable information that I've accrued through the years. If you are in a TV company and you want to get some free consulting, just tune into the Soccer OG. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Certainly could use the help. But uh, we're t- I'm taking this seriously. You know why? I was wondering about the title. And I want to say thank you to Leland, who I know he's listening. And he said, you're terrible at talking about yourself. And I go, you know what? I am. And I see other people that are really good. And I got, I got, I got to find a way to do it. And even then, the soccer G, I go, who, who, who do I think I am? And then Hercules Gomez, who I had a hit podcast with ESPN. And, I, and I'm not, that, that was legit. We were in the top. We did really well. And a lot of folks... Um, a lot of folks certainly uh, would tune in. We still hear about it all the time. But I asked Hercules, I go, should I call myself the soccer OG? And he says, you are. I used to watch you when I was a kid. I go, shut it. Don't you start. He goes, no, it was really. And I've had so many of those experiences and I love it. And uh, I, it's there. It's all in my mind. This is going to be unscripted. For the most part, no teleprompter, no softball comments. We're rolling up our sleeves because we're having fun. This is the coolest sport on the planet. I look at the lead of the NBA, who were the, the coolest kids in town, but they're looking at soccer now. And going, wow, that is cool. But we've never presented it like that. We're a bunch of nerds. I include myself in that. Although I was, I was a cool dude 20 years ago. I mean, I was... <laughs> Woo! Walking around in Los Angeles, bull of the woods. But I can still be cool. We can talk about the sport in cool uh, layers. So we got to do that. It's crazy. It's crazy what we've, how we've presented this. 
I mean, I, when I worked at Fox, we had the English Premier League and the rights fees were first free and then they were like a million bucks. That started what we, we all did. No one ever gave them credit. I'm going to have a big Fox Soccer Channel, Fox Sports World uh, podcast, get some of my old friends up here. But no one ever really mentioned it. But, you know, it has to start somewhere. And we have seen this sport presented. It's gotten a lot better. But it was always an experimental ground. And we defer to the British. We still do. We have so many fantastic on-air presenters. Our top presenters are British. Our, some of our top analysts are British. Um, and our number one podcast is, is British. Those guys have worked their tail off. And they have created a, a nice niche. But there's something about being American and watching this sport that's important. That you get that perspective from being here. It's a small sample size because we haven't really watched the sport. As I said, when I first started, I got out of college. I had to go to Blockbuster Video to watch classic games. All there was was the World Cup or you'd watch it in Spanish. But being an American in the perspective, you see it all. You know, people say stick to MLS, stick to your American sports. But, you know, when, I, when I'm when i tangling up with the Europeans, I go, well, this is all connected. Some of the best players that are playing there are American, whether it's South or North, in your leagues. So it's comprehensive. You can't just watch the Premier League and call yourself an expert. The sport is too big. None of us can watch it all. But I'm going to try. It's a great time, by the way, to be a fan of this sport because of the pandemic. And you can't have fans there. The TV companies are putting games on all day. The leagues are putting on games all day. You can see it. The only thing not going on is Major League Soccer. But when that comes up, it's going to be a saturation point. Game after game at all hours. There to be watched because now it is a stay-at-home experience. For now, we want to get back to the stadiums here very soon. So I'm going to share that information with you and uh, let's have some fun with it. No, you guys can come back at me. This was when I started the YouTube show. Was It was, it was a cathartic thing. It was an outlet to talk about what I saw and I just did it for fun. And now... Um, I am a, I, I see an opportunity because we're entering an incredible run here of, of where this sport. Now, right now is not a great time. And I'm on the phone all the time because there's everyone's downsizing. There's been layoffs everywhere. I'm on the phone with people that are really good at what they do, but there's no money. It's, it's going to get better, I, I hope. Uh, people are taking it seriously. You know, we've seen CBS come in big with the soccer space and invest heavily. And we hope to see that continue and it writes. But this is a bad time. But as we move towards, we see certainly what's going to move the needle is the U.S. men's national team. Uh, and with their successes of the players, people will get excited. Going to the World Cup of 2022, seeing how that develops. And obviously, when we get the World Cup in 2026, that's going to be the moment. And I think that's going to be a moment where it, it, it catches and people are watching it in mass. A lot of things have to fall in place for it to hit perfectly, but that is the target as we move forward. So that's why we're getting in it now. So what's ahead here on the Soccer OG podcast? Well, coming up next, it's the business end. One of these these youngins from the OG stable, the wannabe OGs, they get a shot at me. It's not an interview. We're going to go at the hot topics and we're going to see who's right. We're going to expose who's wrong. 
We are going to uh, give it our best, and it's going to be someone who watches as much as I do, and I'm thrilled to announce Eric Krakauer of BN Sports will be the first in the business end. Really talented young man. who I love how he does his thing, and you feel he has his fingers on his hands on a lot of stuff. So we will get in there, and we will tangle, and we'll have a good time talking football. And you guys can be part of the conversation. If you're out there and you want a piece of me, come on. Maybe we can get you in the business end. Forget celebrity boxing. It's the business end on the soccer OG. After that, in the the model of the soccer OG YouTube show, we'll have uh, what I call stoppage time. And it's a topic that I want to discuss. We're having a conversation with you that I think is pretty important. First up, Pele. Pele has the new Netflix documentary. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Because I'll be talking about it here shortly. And this is coming from me. From a someone who's seen everything and now can give you as good a review as possible. It could be anything. But that's what it is. Pele, the greatest player of all time. We'll get into that. And we'll get into so much more. We are off and running. I am super pumped about this. Get on, get in early. Because this is going to grow. The Soccer OG is here for you. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Let's party! We are back here on the Soccer OG. It's good to say that because, it's again, it's the maiden voyage. And I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to call this part. I said, let's call it the business end because we're going to get to business. We're going to roll up our sleeves. I'm going to get a national voice in the sport of soccer to pop on here. Eric Krakauer, you know him being sports. It's being sport. We dropped the S or we have the S now? <laughs> no, we have the S. <laughs> being sports. That's the right way. Uh, it covers a bunch of leagues and uh, just one of the good young voices. You're not as old as I am, Eric, but I see, I see a little me in you. In the early stages, just absorbed in this sport, living it, loving it. How do you, well, I mean, if I can, if I can you, emulate you, your this was your target. I, this is what you wanted to do. Yes, it, it is. It is. Uh, and you know what? It's great. It's great to hear that because I remember uh, not so many years ago, I watched you on, on Fox Soccer. And I remember thinking to myself, how do I get that guy's job? That's, <laughs> I want his job. <laughs> I got to talk about that because it's it was really just at the right place at the right time. And I, everyone said, I, I got to give myself some credit to get there. But it was amazing. This channel started a couple months after I arrived. And then all of a sudden, hey, you want to do these games? I'm like, yeah. So it was very fortunate. So, uh, you're, so you're in Miami. I'm in L.A. We can't see you right now, but you got a tank top on. You just came back from the beach. How was the beach? Uh, the beach was good. I mean, it was a little bit windy, but... You know, oh. I have a, a two-year-old uh, daughter. You, you have a, a son as well, so you know what it's like. You got to keep them busy, although your son is considerably older than my daughter. Uh, so took her to the beach so she could walk around, get exhausted, so that she'll go to bed in time. <laughs> It'll get easier. It gets easier. But thank you for your time. So we're going to run through some topics. And the inspiration to this is like, when I'm on Twitter and I see everyone chiming in about what's happening here, and I see all these people that are watching a ton of games like I am. So it's like we're at a bar. I try not to drink on Sundays. I won't drink now, but at some point I will, as will you. But we'll get, this was a big weekend, so we can get into it. And I'm going to start with their classica, the big game between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. 
ESPN, ABC rolled it out. It was on the network, a lot of more eyeballs. They had second screens. They had a, a camera following Erling Holland throughout. So it's exciting to see that being developed and the game lived up to billing. You obviously have Holland who scores the two goals and then Bayern Munich storm back. Robert Lewandowski all over it. They win 4-2. Bayern Munich continue to be the best team on the planet. And they, to me, just, it feels like their ceiling is still so high. They're still never 100% healthy, but they're very close to it now. And giving a team like Dortmund a two-goal lead, and I think everyone sensed it, Eric. Everyone's like, they're going to come back. I thought maybe it ends 2-2, but not only did it was 2-2, it ended up 4-2. So what did you think about everything that happened? Well, I feel like that's been the story of Bayern Munich this season, right? They let you score. They make you think that you stand a chance. And then all of a sudden they come back and, and you know, win the game, collect all three points, go home. They're happy and they have, uh, you know, a Hofbrau, you know, to, to relax later on in the afternoon or at night. And this is the Bayern Munich that we've gotten used to seeing. And it, you know, when you have that much quality, uh, the quality comes out, it radiates in the business end of business if that makes makes sense so they have to get it done after going uh, two goals down we saw it as well against Tigres in the final of the club world cup where it looked like they were playing in second gear in the first 45 Tigres Tigres didn't really have much of a chance but when they realized that Tigres could be in it until the very end you know they turned on they revved up their engine and they took care of business so Bayern Munich if Dortmund gave got a tie or were able to hold on, Leipzig would have been the leaders heading into the weekend. We're looking for a Bundesliga race. It seems like Bayern Munich are going to take this by the scruff of the neck as they usually do. At some point it's going to end, but it doesn't appear now. To the point you were making as well about how good they looked intercontinental uh, competitions, back to the Bundesliga, and obviously as good as they looked as the rounds of the, the round of 16 of the Champions League recommenced. I did want to talk, because we're in the business of of this sport. And look, there's been, it's been a lot of discouraging signs by and large, you know, there's been uh, layoffs in certain places. There's, there's coverage is streaming, but it's less on in the big, uh, you don't get the big rollout like you used to. Obviously NBC is doing their thing. B in sports is doing theirs. CBS is getting into it, but we don't get that special treatment other than the world cup or U S men's U S women's national team. But this was this is obviously I think everyone in our industry is pumping their fists because it's it's ABC. They're gonna get I don't know what the numbers are. It's gonna be good. But not only that, but ESPN made sure they took this opportunity and they had all these bells and whistles around it. And you can't do it all the time, obviously. But to see them, to see the channel not just tuck it away on their streaming service to put it out like this, which helps the streaming service, it has to, is a really good, healthy sign for the whole industry. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing to see. Look, anytime you have a, a soccer game on one of the major U.S. channels, I think that's a big win, no matter whom uh, you work for. You know, I'm at BN Sports. We, you know, we're not related to ABC, but it's great to, to turn on one of those big channels and see a big game. And then the game delivers because sometimes, and this happened with, on Fox and NBC with their, with their properties in the past, they choose what is in the billing a huge game, and then it ultimately disappoints. It fizzles out, right? It, because very often, unfortunately, in any sport, when you have a very big game with two contenders, you know, it gets cagey. It doesn't translate 
into the most fluid of games. In this situation, you saw a very good game. And going back to your point about looking at Twitter and or not knowing exactly how many uh, people were watching, but they probably had great ratings. You look at Twitter, as I did, because I was calling a game that started a little bit earlier. I was calling Cadiz against Avar, which is a that was that should have been on ABC. <laughs> that should have been on ABC. A relegation <laughs> six pointer, uh, which ended up being quite a quite a good game. And everybody's talking about the classicer on Twitter. I mean, listen, we follow people who specifically work in in our industry, the soccer industry, uh, soccer broadcasting industry, or people who watch it. Uh, and everybody was talking about it. And if everybody's talking about one particular soccer game, when there are hundreds on in this country, I think that's very good news. And by the way, one last shout out here uh, to Kay Murray, who is an exemplary uh, soccer, anything. You put her in a hosting position for anything and she'll knock it out of the park. She uh, did a great job seamlessly getting in there. And I know Seb- Sebastian Salazar and Hercules Gomez were doing that secondary feed. So good job overall. I want to say one quick thing about the game and Holland. And I've seen enough, Eric. I've seen enough to tell me that it's he needs to go to another team so we can see him blossom to that next level because Dortmund are just too inconsistent. They give up too many goals. They... They're, it's, they're always left wide open. And I mean, that, that game, they were up two and then they gave it away so quickly. Uh, so, and I hate to do this because Dortmund are fun watch, but it's going to be frustrating to see Holland stay with that team if these are the results. And the, the scary part is that Bayern Munich seem to be the favorites to sign him at the end of all this. Whoever it's going to be are deep pockets. Manchester United, Man City, the, the usual suspects. There was an article about... Roy Keane tackling his father that was making the rounds and, you know, severely injured Alpha Inga Holland and early Holland still holds a grudge. And I was thinking would that, would he have a grudge big enough to say, I don't want to go to Manchester United. Wouldn't that be something? I don't think that would come, but regardless that it has to happen now in my estimation, it has to be this situation where he has, a stout defense and he has some guys in a midfield that can lock up a game and it, the Dortmund time has to come to a close. I, you know, I understand that sentiment, but I'm going to push back on it. And one of the things that I've hated to see, look, you and I have followed this sport for a very long time and, and what has happened over the last 20 years and has only become accelerated, only been accelerated over the last five, six, seven years is the concentration of talent in the very best teams. And that's why there is, or at least it's one of the reasons why there is a push for European Super League, because if you have a high concentration of talent, you have more eyes on those games. So you want to be able to rack up more money. And I think that is ultimately the death knell of the game. I think that players like Holland need to stay with Dortmund. I think good players need to stay at the clubs that they're at right now. And if there is one silver lining, of this uh, in this pandemic it's that clubs are financially strapped now so they can't just wheel and deal like they used to and one thing we learned from the pandemic is how many clubs uh, were in the red financially because of short-term uh, huge uh, short-term signings uh, never looking at the at the long run you saw that with Bartomeu at Barcelona and by the way Barcelona one of the potential dest- destinations for Erling Holland or Holland Uh, as Derek Ray says it, because he he pronounces it properly, uh, because Juan Laporta has said that he will have the financial means to to sign him. 
But Marco Rosa is one of the one of the excellent coaches in European football. He is going to be at Dortmund next season. Give him a chance. Let's see what he is able to do. But I understand that not having somebody with that sort of uh, you know front page name uh, in the Champions League is problematic, and that could cost Dortmund in the end. So they have to make sure that they get into the top four. So many good German managers. <laughs> They're yeah. everywhere. They're yep. growing on trees. Yep. The what you brought up, Derek Ray, and I want to touch talk about it because two people texted me because the game was on ABC and they were saying the, the guy, the guy calling it, he's really emphasizing these German names. I go, yeah, that's Derek. Uh, that's he is meticulous about it. I try to be as meticulous as I can for it. I know we've had this discussion. It's an important discussion, and I want to pronounce all the names correctly. And Derek was on a podcast that I heard where he said he learned the guy, a player's name, the, the player's name escapes me. And then later found out from the player that his father heard the broadcast, heard the name being said correctly. And it made a huge difference. And I believe that. And whatever the player says, how to pronounce his name is the way to do it. I always had a big problem with the Brazilian names. Cause no one calls Fred fridge. No one calls <laughs> graffiti was the one people come graffiti. No, it's graffiti. Well, yeah, I got killed. I got killed for pronouncing Coutinho in a Brazil versus Bolivia game. Uh, Coutinho. And Coutinho. you look, if you, if you go to YouTube and you see the reaction to me calling him Coutinho, oh man, I, I, I didn't sleep that night. It's, it gets people hot. So I, I, I think as broadcasters, you have to tread lightly in this, in this way. You want to say them correctly. You but you want to be inclusive for the audience, but you've got to try and say correctly, but you've got, if that's the case, you got to say all the names correctly. There are no half measures. Right. So if it's a, someone from Turkey or from Brazil, which is obviously one that is a real stickler about it. I would say, I think Derek's delivery is fantastic. I think we, I would soften the edges a bit on the pronunciations, like instead of, Hernandez, Hernandez, it's, it, it, and I'm kind of contradicting myself because it, it, it's a bit of a half measure, but I think I want to keep the audience engaged where they're not doing it. And there's a price to pay if you really pronounce names because you said it, you get killed. So I think we should all do it, but I think there's got to be a guidebook that every name and every nationality we have to put under a fine tooth comb. Look, and there's also one thing that you haven't mentioned, and I think you make very good points, is that some people don't have the ability to pronounce certain names perfectly, right? It's so hard. It, it's hard. I'm not, you know, my, my father, German-born uh, American, and I wish I were better at pronouncing German names. I, I just am not. I try as best I can. So I think that the, 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 the measure or the metric that should be used is how are you trying to at least get close to what that name is? And I think that is important. And, you know, Derek Ray, I'm nobody to question Derek Ray. He's been in this business uh, many, many, many years. He's one of the very best. His voice is on FIFA. And I think that's a testament to just how good he is. I think that the battle that he's fighting, though, is one that is worth fighting because there are commentators, uh, Max, you know this, anybody who follows this sport. They ignore it. Uh, they, they don't care about players' names, right? It's, I'm going to say it my way. This is where I'm from, and this is how we pronounce it. And I think that's insulting uh, to players. So if I'm going to 
err on one of the sides, I'm going to err on Derek Ray's side because he is respecting the name. But also we have to understand that some people aren't able to pronounce names like he does. And, you know, a final thought on this is I struggle with, with this myself. A perfect example, I just mentioned that I was on the call for Cadiz against, uh, against Abar. One of Abar's center backs is Paulo Oliveira, and he's a Portuguese center back. Now, I was saying it as a native Portuguese because that is what I am. And at a certain point during the game, I thought, man, I'm not saying all the other names like a native would. So should I correct this a little bit? And it is a struggle that I think that we all go through. This I, We've talked more about this, but I, I, this is what I, I knew was going to happen. And by the way, Derek is the real OG when it comes to broadcasting this. And it is a fight worth fighting. I will, Working at ESPN, there were baseball players. And I, I interviewed Albert Pujols and uh, F- Felix Hernandez. And they said, call me Felix, call me Al, don't call me Alberto, because they want to make life easier for them. And I get it. But it's like, that's kind of, I feel it's kind of lazy for us collective media for accepting that. Say, like, oh, we'll call him Felix. His name's not Felix, it's Felix. Right. That's what right. he's, so it's, and and there's a lot because- of work to do. And just because they're okay with that doesn't mean that all the other players in Major League right. Baseball are okay with it. So, but they want to, they want their life easier. Okay, let's move the let's move to England. And there was the Manchester Derby. Manchester United winning 2-0. So they didn't get in the clean sheet. They played two games against Man City and did not allow a goal against the best offense in the league. Manchester City is still going to win the Premier League race, but now Manchester United looks secure at second. And most of the season, it feels like the criticism for Manchester United has been there. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's too big of a job for him. This, that, and the other. Uh, They're not, they play this way against a certain team and they play this way against another team. And I get it all. And I kind of sit there, Eric, and I look at the landscape and go, wait a minute. They finished third last season. They're going to finish second this season they get two good results against man city they knock liverpool out of the fa cup they they tied liverpool the other way so they didn't lose to liverpool those are their two big rivals they have another game at old trafford against liverpool coming up they have a a sterling record at least not losing against the big six paul pogba has been injured for more than a minute here he's coming back they didn't hit some of their signings they did get bruno Fernandes. (laughs) <laughs> but that's that's the battle that's the one that's the deep weed battle with names you watch it that's the one that's going to come up and i'm looking to manchester united and their supporters and go what are you complaining about this is yes you're manchester united yes but this is in 1999 you want to make the big step but this is progress and it's going to get better because you you're pretty sure if there are clubs or if there is a club that's going to spend money in the summer it's going to be the red devils and i would I'd be really upset if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who, who put on a clinic with his tactics against City, would lose his job. I don't think he is. He's not the sexiest choice there. Obviously, his connection to Manchester United got him the gig, but he's done a good job. You look at the list, I go, that's that's a good list. This is a good season. So I know people are frustrated with the club, but they, I think all in all, you got to be pretty, if you're a neutral and you look at it, go, that's a job well done. Yeah, look, I, I don't think I can disagree with anything that you just said there. Although there is this uh, ingredient uh, that I think plays a big part in the conversation about Ole and Solskjaer. And I think it also played a part in Frank Lampard's demise at Chelsea. And that is that 
in modern football now, there is a premium on coaches who have a very established footballing identity. And if, if your team doesn't have a specific identity, then your fans, if you're not winning, because if you're winning, then who cares? But if you're not winning, your fans go, well, I'm not quite sure what he's doing. So if you get a coach like Solskjaer who adapts his team to the opponents that he has in front of him, you start to ask questions whether he knows what it is that he's trying to do. And I think that is uh, naive and, and silly, right? Because most coaches adapt to the opposition that's in front of them. How can you face a Manchester City uh, with the talent that they have, with the system that's been successfully implemented by Pep Guardiola, and not adapt to that opposition? You're not going to out-possess Man City. You're not going to out-create uh, opportunities, uh, Man City. That wasn't proper English, but it doesn't matter because you, 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 you get the point. And to the point that you made, uh, that today in the Manchester Derby, Solskjaer got it right. He had a plan. He had a commitment. Robbie Earle actually said this. He added a third, uh, uh, a third variable there that I forget uh, what it was. But the big point was, look, the players knew exactly what they had to do, and they were committed to what they had to do, and they put their chances away. Maybe that was their uh, third variable. How can you see that, see Manchester United in second place, and not say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been a resounding success at this club? Because if you look at the squad, he hasn't beefed it up with a ton of players. He brought in Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> right? He brought in him. He's had a huge impact. If you look at his numbers over the last 12 months, his numbers are on par with Lionel Messi's. I mean, that is just unbelievable. He scores a goal today. It wasn't the best taken penalty. So you have to give uh, Solskjaer nothing but credit for the job that he's done. And now in the summer, if Manchester United are able to uh, bring in some more players, he did bring in Juan Bissaka, by the way. So he did bring in players. But what I'm saying is he didn't bring a, 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 another star. He didn't. He didn't spend all the money that Manchester United has uh, available to to the club. So let's see what happens this summer. Uh, but he certainly has earned another year, and let's see if he can be competitive. Maybe they've uh, they've cracked open City too, because I I figured they're going to have a bad patch. Maybe this is the beginning of it, which is terrible timing for Pep Guardiola here in March April. But we shall see. The other big story, there's a lot of big stories. This was a huge weekend, but in England, Liverpool home again, losing to Fulham. Massive win for the Cottagers in their battle to avoid relegation. Another loss, another home loss for Liverpool. This is a broken team. The, 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 the excuse coming in, and I don't, that's too strong of a word, but the, the issue that they had with the, the club's struggles is Virgil van Dijk being out for the majority of the season. The... That is a huge void that they have to fill, but they're not scoring goals. They look like a team that clubs have figured out. This is a team that was on their foot on the pedal, a style of play that is beautiful to watch. It was a breath of fresh air. At some point, you especially you don't have a full docket of players, it, it it's hard to execute. And clearly it has the front three, they they didn't really hit on some new faces that came in that could have helped them. And it's just gotten all very stale. I think there's also an issue of very long seasons. So they get to the Champions League final. They lose to Real Madrid. They get to the Champions League final. They win it. This, the last year has been uh, inner, uh, what's, uh, 
it's been it's been a staggered season because of covid and they finally won their title there was a time when they said you can't be really, really be called english champions because of this pandemic right so it was just so much and it's etched on their faces they look exhausted jürgen klopp i know what you can't do this but it'd be nice if he could take a break his obviously he couldn't go back to Germany for the death of his mother. I, I, it screams like someone needs to get home and just recharge the batteries. It doesn't work that way. And they're in the middle of a Champions League tournament that they, who knows, they could make a run in there. But it's, it, people are saying, we got to move some crazies. This is obviously no, no one uh, reputable is saying that Jurgen Klopp should be dismissed. It's been an incredible run, but it has to be an exhausting run. And I look at this team and they're not going to make the Champions League. I think that there's 10 games left. They probably at most win three of them because it's, it's going to be challenging, but this is not something that's going to get better. They are just stuck and they, it's kind of like grind out the season at this point. It's not going to be pretty. No, it isn't. And, you know, statistics actually bear out just how much of an absence uh, Virgil van Dijk has been. They've conceded 36 goals uh, this season already. They only conceded 33 last season. They were the best defense in the league, and they were scoring for fun. They've actually scored a lot of goals this season, too. But during this poor run, they haven't. They also had some high-scoring games, you know, some 7-0s or, or whatnot. I don't even remember anymore because all these leagues and all these games are just uh, mashed up in, into one in my tiny brain. Uh, but, look, what they have done over the last two seasons is incredible. At a certain point, things were going to slow down. I just think it's unfortunate – that there's been a convergence of, of uh, bad luck here, right? You had the Virgil van Dyke injury. You had the, 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 the run of games in the, in the pandemic as well. You had Diogo Jota, who got injured, seriously injured, when he was scoring a goal yep. a game. And he was this incredible addition coming over from, from Wolves. So a lot of things added up to this situation. And it wasn't like you were always going to get that incredible output from Salah and Firmino and, and uh, Sadio Mane. So all of these things just happened at once. They're suffering for it. You can't point the finger at Jurgen Klopp. He's had a lot going on. You mentioned the death of, of his mother. This is just one of those seasons that you put behind you, rearview mirror, and you don't look at again, and you start up uh, in, the, in the new campaign. It's it, you just got to be patient and Liverpool fans have to say, well, what a great run this has been. They reinvented that, a that league in the uh, club. League. A league in the Champions League. I mean, come on. They almost, if not for the, if not for Karius and the injury to Salah, they could have won back-to-back Champions League. I'm convinced yes. of it, but it's an, yes. it's an amazing run. Yeah. But I, again, they need, they need a couple weeks in the tropics, as they would say. <laughs> or in Spain, where we had the Madrid derby. Uh, Atletico Madrid uh, leading, winning with a goal by Luis Suarez, an equalizer late from Karim Benzema, which was really massive for Real Madrid. It was big for Barcelona too, as it gets them right into, right on the bumper of Atletico in the standings. Jean Oblak, to me, to me is, I mean, I, I think it's a club that works well for that goalkeeper. The way they play makes him look good in spots maybe he's not the ideal keeper for like a guy team like man city but when it comes to shot stopping he's the best and uh one did get by although he made a couple big saves late this is a result that i think helps barcelona more than anyone 
Barcelona have a very difficult schedule rolling in, but it was it was a better game than I thought. I mean, it was, uh, and I know we're going to talk about the handball as well, but it was, I, I it felt like it could be a scoreless game, and Atletico were this close to turning the corner. If they win that game, that bad patch they had in January or February kind of goes away, but now you're not quite sure. But they should be able to get better results on a favorable run of schedule here in the upcoming weeks. Listen, this is great news for me, obviously. I work for being sports, and if we have a competitive league, more eyes are going to be on that on that league. Oh, you got one. <laughs> you didn't have one a month ago. You got one now. Well, but... You know, I know that I know that you watch some of our shows. And two months ago, I said there was still a league when there was almost a ten-point gap. And that is because, you know, as you said at, at the at the top of, of this pod, that we're obsessive about this game. And I go through numbers. You know, I rewatch things, and I, I called a, a bunch of Atletico Madrid games this season where they just weren't convincing. They were winning two zero, uh, but they weren't convincing. And I felt that the chances that they were putting away. Uh, Sometimes we're a little fortunate. Uh, Suarez, the terror that he was in, 16 goals in his first 17 games. I mean, it was unreal. But he was scoring from some ridiculous angles. Uh, so if you look, and I, I know people hate this, and I actually I have seen on Twitter uh, that there's, this has been a, a point of discussion, XG, expected goals. Uh, but th- that is actually a statistic that I, that I like looking at and if you look at the end of a season, you compare a team's numbers with the XG, they tend to match. So that gives it some, some credibility. And there are other things that give it credibility as well. And if you looked at uh, Atletico Madrid's numbers, they should have been conceding more than, than they have, and they should have been scoring less. And until the last game where they just beat Villarreal 2-0, that was the first clean sheet that they had in seven games. They conceded in that span of seven games more goals than they had conceded all season long before that seven game stretch. And then you add the champions league to it. You got fatigue, you got the COVID infections that affected the team. I always believed that there was going to be a league that I think it was going to get back this close this soon. Absolutely not. And, and Barcelona absolutely have won this weekend. They won the week because they came back against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey. They'll be in the final against athletic a quick point here, athletic playing back-to-back Copa del Rey finals in April because they haven't played out last year's Copa del Rey final against Real Sociedad. <laughs> what? It's incredible. We just, we how just did I miss that? <laughs> which just underscores the point that you made about the pandemic in Liverpool and how crazy yeah. it, it has been. Uh, Laporta gets elected president today, his uh, second time in charge, probably uh, was, in, was president of the club during their most uh, uh, um, successful period, two Champions Leagues, I think three La Ligas. And I feel like there's some momentum behind Barcelona. The way that they coughed up two points in the end against Real Madrid is just going to add the pressure to Atletico. I think they're going to lose to Chelsea in the Champions League. Man, you know what? I, I think they're going to let this slip away. The Spanish title, not just the Champions League. Yeah, the Spanish title. I think they were very good today for, for 70% of that game. And then they just retreated. They became the same old Diego Simeone team. They go back. You know, he puts Juan Felix into the game when he's decided to, to close up shop. That's not the player that you bring in when that is what you're supposed when you what you intend to do. Having said that, Courtois was phenomenal, and he stopped them from scoring the, the, the killer blow. So uh, they were unlucky. But 
when you're unlucky and results aren't going your way after they have, and the other teams are nipping at your heels, I don't know. I talked about Holling leaving Dortmund. Jao Felix may need to leave Atletico. It's just uh, deferring his career right now at, at, at that club, not playing the minutes, not being put in good spots, but that's a discussion for another day. You mentioned the election of Jean Laporta second time and his rallying cry is we're going to keep Messi. Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona would be a Herculean effort because there's a huge price tag and we know money is tight and not many clubs will be able to do that. So well, I, salary I think wise, salary wise, because his contract ends. It's, uh, yes, of course, salary wise, but everything that would come into it, yes. he would, his, obviously this would be the time to do it. But I mean, like to your point, if Barcelona right the ship, if they finish the season well, I think he's going to stay because he's looking for a reason to stay. He said he wanted to leave when things were awful. They were awful when they lost to PSG in the round of 16, but they've gotten much better. I think the Copa del Rey, which is tertiary when it comes to their focus, but coming back and being able to win a trophy, if it's still a long shot, they're not going to win the Champions League. A long shot, I would say, to win the La Liga, but now they're a, a, a good result away from winning at least the Copa del Rey. That will help. And as time goes by, and I was staunch that I thought Messi just leave, get out of there. And I still think he should, but seeing it through Messi's perspective, I think if there's enough success, he has the new guy in charge that he admires, he, uh, he's going to probably stay. But there's a lot of variables. I would also add something I don't think it's going to affect him staying that really came into view in their victory over Osasuna is Elix Moriba, another player from La Masia, which is the best thing going for Barcelona. Ansu Fati, who's injured, came out there. There's this guy called Monchu that I don't, everyone raves about that they say is the next big thing on more of a, a midfield perspective. Ricky Puig, all these young players, they're not ready for the ring right now. But I would imagine Messi would like to kind of be around to see those guys grow and kind of make that adjustment because they're, they have the skills. They have players everywhere. This is a La Masia always pumps out good talent, but not like this. These guys all look ready to play for the first team. They're pl not playing all the time, but there's enough variables now overall that this is as rosy as it's been for Barcelona in a long time. Yeah, and I think credit goes to Komen, uh, you know, who was under a lot of pressure when he arrived. All the all the things that were going on with uh, Bartomeu behind closed doors, the the Barcagate issue that uh, landed him in jail overnight a few uh, a few days ago. You know, Komen will not be remembered when his tenure is you know over and done with at Barcelona as the guy who bled a lot of youngsters. But that should be one of the reasons he is remembered. Uh, you know, there were issues with Ricky Puget at, at, at the beginning where he asked him to, to leave. He didn't ask him to leave. He said, look, I think in order for you to play, what you need to do, because what, Ricky Puget is what, 21 years old now? You're not going to get that much game time, you know? So go somewhere, play, uh, so you can get better, and then you come back and we'll see where we stand because we have a lot of players who play in your position. Ultimately, the, the youngster convinced him and he's played more frequently. But you take you take Elish Moriba, who's who scored a, a, an incredible goal uh, in, in this game. You take um, you take Ansu Fati. By the way, Ansu Fati scored his very first professional goal at El Sadar against Osasuna. 
same stadium where Elijah scored yesterday. So there's something about that stadium in Pamplona that, that poor, works well for those blossoms. Poor Osasuna. Guys. They have to learn that poor lesson Osasuna, the hard way. Yeah. Um, and all the other youngsters that you mentioned, there's Sergio Dest, the U.S. Uh, international, Conrad De La Fuente, who I think will at some point get, get some minutes as well. There's a lot of young talent, as you mentioned, that is being blooded there and that will uh, carry Barcelona in, into the future. You know, the, uh, some of the narratives about Barcelona, they're financially ruined. They don't have enough talent to keep them uh, in, in the fight for all these trophies. I think the latter is incorrect. They do have a lot of talent. Things just haven't worked out, and all the noise in the background has seeped into what they were able to do. However, I never believed Messi was going to leave. Um, in the end, I was kind of wrong because he really wanted to leave, and it was Bartomeu who just wouldn't let him go because he was under contract and he didn't fulfill his promise uh, his stated promise to Messi, which was, look, if you ever come up to me, given everything that you've done and you want to leave, I will open the door to you. That obviously didn't happen. But in the long run, I think Messi will probably appreciate it because I don't believe he ever really in his heart of hearts wanted to go. He's got a family. He's got kids. He's well situated. He, he is a part of that club's fabric. And we are all better for it if he ends his career there. Yeah. I'd like to see him <laughs> go somewhere else. I don't I, I... Because the, the, the Champions League part, I don't think they're going to get closer as Messi gets older to lifting another Champions League. I, I for one, look forward to seeing him do what Ronaldo did and get a change of scenery. If it would, to all those points you just mentioned, comfort is, is, is a big deal. And I get it. And if I was him, I'd probably say, yeah, my kids are in school. I like it here. They've been great to me. I'd probably stay, but I would also, I'd prefer the messy go. You know what? I want to challenge. I want to do something, get out of my comfort zone and, you know, just work out some new muscles in my body. But I don't think I want him to leave. I do want him to leave, but I don't think he will. Uh, that's sacrilegious. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I just but come on, just to see him in a different jersey. No, and no. I, understand, I, 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 I want to see him leave. I don't think it's the time goes by. I don't think it's going to happen. Hey, listen, you know, I'm a sporting club Portugal fan through and through. Uh, and I had always associated Cristiano Ronaldo with Manchester United when he left for Manchester United and then when Real Madrid. It's still doesn't quite sink in that he's wearing Juve's jersey and he's been there for two seasons. That is how I associate him <laughs> with Real Madrid. You I dug your heels in on that one. Okay, what, well, let's go to South America. I want to bring up this topic about the Comebol qualifiers, the two match days, uh, five and six for the World Cup qualifiers have been postponed. They're finding some spots. They'll probably have some landing spots for that. There is all sorts of discussion because possibly Copa America could be postponed or canceled. And maybe they use those dates to fill in these qualifiers, which would be in the summer. I'm sure that's the last thing Comebol wants to do. They're two, uh, the two clubs that they, the two countries that they invited Australia and Qatar will not be coming. This is uh, we both cover a lot of South American football. And this is just kind of, showing the situation right now in South America as it applies to COVID or as COVID applies to the to continent and that it's really bad. As bad as you thought it might be it is, as it was in the United States and Europe, as we start to get better here, the reports are Brazil, the numbers are through the roof. The vaccines aren't coming to countries like Argentina. So it feels they are a long way away 
from getting back to normal, having fans at events, being able to travel. And this to me could be the beginning of a, a bad run for, for what's happening in South America. And it could, it could change a lot of things. And I, I, I don't know this for sure, but maybe the big South American stars that would have come here, clubs go, well, let's look at players here in Europe, maybe in North America, Asia, Africa, because South America are now it's a little bit sticky. The managers didn't want to send their players there for the World Cup qualifiers because they would be faced with an astronomical quarantine situation. As a guy who works for LAFC and they sent four players there for the last qualifiers, all four of them came back with COVID and missed really the, the final stretch of the regular season and the playoff game. It's a it's it's a pain in the rear, Eric. It really is, and it doesn't. I mean, I don't want to be. I don't want to ring, ring the the alarm bells, but kind of a little bit. It's it's pretty dire what's happening down there. It is. Uh, it's very uh, worrying. Uh, everything that you've uh, you've uh, delineated is true. I completely understand why why European clubs with with huge stars. Uh, like Lionel Messi, whom we've just been speaking about. You know, he plays for Argentina. Are you really, Barcelona, uh, going to allow your player to go to South America, the mandatory quarantine, and then, uh, you know, you lose him for, for a certain amount of time? And what if he gets really sick, right? I mean, that's something that, that's something that I find is never really part of the soccer discussion because mm. we tend to believe, because of statistics, that this is a, this is a disease that only – seriously afflicts the elderly well yes in 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 the in the in most cases but you know there was a player in the coma uh in in liga because of covid at the beginning when this disease first came out uh i I forget his name right now he's he's recovered right but you could be unlucky and get very very sick and of course you mentioned lafc you were the face of, of of that club i was on some of those world cup qualifiers where those where Cifuentes, for example, wasn't able to play against Colombia because he got COVID and all of a sudden your team is in the playoffs and you're missing a player or two because Dario Rossi and almost every uh, Dario, I should say. Uh, and Diego. Every, yeah. And every Uruguayan player on that team got sick, it seemed, because so yeah. many of those players. Luis Suarez missed a bunch of time with Atletico Madrid because he was sick. Uh, Vina from Palmeiras missed some Copa Libertadores games because of it. It's just a huge financial risk for clubs. But more importantly, we have to talk about the safety, not only of the players, but everybody who is involved in getting a game together from the Cannonball staff to the cameraman, you know, everybody, people in the hotels. I think this was the right decision. I think they should postpone the, the Copa America. I hate to say that because it's one of my very favorite competitions. It has been since I was a little kid, but well, they postponed it once again. I think at this point they would probably just have to move to the next one. This was the right. No, the that's bonus what I mean. One. I mean cancel. I mean yeah. cancel. Yeah, you're absolutely. There's right. nowhere to put it. There's exactly. There's there's absolutely nowhere uh, to put it. And I'm glad that UEFA, on a similar topic, is coming to his senses and realizing that playing the Euro in 12 countries during a pandemic <laughs> probably not the best idea. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's like it was a great idea at the time. But as the life, the world I turns, even, I go, "Who okayed this? This is yeah, this I'm is an here, awful I, idea." I don't even think it was a good idea at the time. Keep it in one or two places and leave it at that. I thought the Champions League, the Champions League they had in Lisbon in the two stadiums was awesome, and they felt yeah. like an event. Do that. You don't if 
by the time the Euros roll around, that they'll have supporters by by the looks of it. Well, I, I shouldn't speak that in Europe. I know we're getting closer to the United States, but you would imagine some supporters, but it, it should be very centralized. I, uh, I know that this has got to be a relief for some clubs. You mentioned Messi probably goes with Argentina. Arge- there was an Argentina-Brazil game that's been postponed in these groups. But I look at teams like Inter, who are trying to hang on to first place at Serie A. They could lose Lautaro, one of the best players on the planet, Alexi Sanchez, who gives them valuable depth. They could lose, miss those guys for two, three games, and those could be that could be the Scudetto right there. Yep. Everton, James is there. Uh, Alan, who's a Brazilian midfielder, uh, Yerimina. And uh, Atalanta, they could, they're still in it, the Champions League, and they have the two Colombian strikers that would probably go as well. So they've got to be like, what a relief. What a yeah. relief. Yeah, yeah, because they don't have to duke it out with FIFA, right? It's not a fight that they want to have, a fight that clubs usually lose because of all sorts of, of uh, financial consequences and all sort of uh, uh, penalties that, that they have to deal with. So, yes, look, I think that, I think that you cannot put players at risk. You cannot put clubs at risk. Good idea to postpone the, the March uh, qualifiers. It would be a great idea to cancel the, the Copa America. I mean, they play Copa America almost like every year anyway. So I'm fine not? with that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's obviously, it, it's, it's a big commitment. And, you know, the last Copa America, those, that incredible image of Gabriel Jesus crying on the steps as Brazil played there to win it. There were surprises. All the players came out. It's a, it's a great tournament, but yep. maybe not in 2021. Eric, this flew by. We've been uh, we've been going at it for a while. We're gonna have to do this again. But uh, again, I appreciate you, my friend, for joining me here. This is uh, these are the conversations I want to have, and it felt exactly where where I, the sweet spot. So yeah. thanks for joining us. We'll do this again pretty soon. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a pleasure. An absolute pleasure. Check out Eric of Being Sports. He's one of the. He is. He's going to be a superstar in this industry as it goes on. We're really. I'm glad that he's out there and doing a great job covering all these leagues. We'll be back with the soccer OG coming up. My final thought as I review the Pele movie on Netflix in stoppage time. That's next. We are back here on the Soccer OG podcast. It's good to say that. Now it is stoppage time, uh, where it's me and you talking. And it's on my clock, although I have control of that. But we'll go as as far as we go. Today we'll talk about Pele, documentary that came out on Netflix, directed by David Trihorn and Ben Nichols, produced by Kevin McDonald. I always like to say that, like they're doing those Hollywood junkets. And they did a nice job. It's difficult to put in the life of Pele into two hours. They didn't do that. They focused on the World Cups that he won from 1958 and 1970. And to do the math, there were four World Cups during that time. Brazil won three of them. Pele won three of them. Only guy to do that. And England won in 1966. Brazil in 58, 62, and 70. Immediately when you watch something with Pele, the first thing you're going to ask, and I'm sure people are having debates based on it, was he the greatest of all time? And I will, I will start at this. The two that are at the top, I don't think you can put the contemporaries up there just because what Maradona and Pele had to go through to be players, Sp- particularly Pele, a, a poor black kid, to rise to that prominence from poverty in Brazil 
to being the biggest athlete in the world. Every Brazilian kid wanted to be like him. That is, you know, that doesn't happen. Certainly back, not in the 50s, but it did. But I will say this when you compare Maradona and Pele. The Maradona doc was much better. But that's because Maradona was such a compelling figure. The drug use, the party lifestyle, and still being as great as, as he was. And he was a crazy man. That makes it so much more compelling. However, if you put this documentary and Once in a Lifetime, which is a documentary of the NASL and the New York Cosmos, which circled a lot around Pele, plus his incredible performance in Victory with Sylvester Sloan and Michael Caine, which he should have won in a supporting actor nod when he had that injured arm and he's running through the Germans on the field. It was really good. Then Pele gets the victory when you talk about content. <laughs> Certainly does. The story is, is pretty remarkable. It starts in 1950 when Brazil had the biggest failure at the time when they lost in a World Cup final that they hosted to Uruguay at the Maracanã. And it's talking about getting out of that. And then Pele was a big part of finding them through and eventually winning it in 1958 when he was 17 years of age. The footage of these World Cups is still remarkable. And when you think of 1958, we're talking almost 70 years, holds up very nicely. 60-some years. The 1970 World Cup footage is spectacular. It just pops off the screen. And to see those incredible colors. I love the uniforms. There was some some simplicity in them as well. I mean, there was, uh, was it England came out all white, socks, shorts. And then I want to say it was Czechoslovakia. I think it was white shirts, white shorts, blue socks. But it was something that was pretty cool. Now, one thing I would, I would hold it up against Pele, when you look at the footage... These players, they, these are not great athletes. I mean, he's running circles around some of these guys that, you know, I think I could take. I'm kidding. I couldn't take. But it's not the, it's not the, the type of soccer player we have now, which have, to me, have an incredible advantage. I mean, the sport is taken a lot more seriously now, and there's so much money invested in it, so you get a better player. And Pele is a guy who probably could play in this era and he ran circles around it. Kind of like when Jim Brown scored a touchdown back in the day. He was so much better and bigger than everyone else. And you could see the disparity. But a remarkable figure. There's no doubt about it. Seeing what he did to come through and all the obstacles he was able to avoid to winning three World Cups really probably be on those terms enough should put him as the all-time best. But I'm still a Maradona guy. I'll just say that. I because this is where it separates when you look at the players and coaches around Pele, they were much better than what Maradona had. I was blown away when you look at let's 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 first of all look at the three World Cups. 58 was obviously a magical run. 62 he got injured, didn't finish the competition. Um others came in and finished the job, not to take that away. You can't take it. He was on the squad and he helped them emerged. 1970 was more of a collaborative approach. Jair Zinho, well, he had seven goals in that world. Jair Zinho was maybe the best player of that tournament. And then you had Rivellino, you had Carlos Alberto. I mean, these guys were insane. So he was part of it. That, again, you can't take it away, but I think we history says Pele single-handedly lifted these teams to these incredible achievements. We never talk about Jairzinho. You look at what he did in 1970. He deserves a lot of credit. 
Unbelievable. And that Carlos Alberto goal, if you look, Pele was involved in so much. And I don't want to diminish that. I just look at, I, I want to give credit. When I saw this, I want to give credit to others. So I talked about Rivellino and Jairzinho. Mario Zagallo, who played with Pele in 58, won a World Cup, coached him in 1970, also won a World Cup as an assistant coach. What an amazing man. What he was able to accomplish. We don't really talk about Mario Zagallo. Maybe in Brazil they do, but we don't, about the contributions he made. So it, it really shows when you, you talk to Pele's story, certainly that era, what he was able to accomplish. One of the through lines in it was also General Medici, the, the dictator in, in the 60s there in Brazil, which I didn't really know a lot about, and I, I feel foolish that I didn't, that they came over and it was awful. Brazilians were being tortured and murdered and disappearing. Um, it was an awful time for what was a very fun place prior with these World Cups. And there was some criticism for Pele for not being more politically active. And there was the comparisons to Muhammad Ali, who was and the anti-war movement. He was a lightning rod for all of that. And that is standing the test of time. But I'm not here to be critical of Pele because he didn't do that. He said it himself. He, the team doctor, he says he plays football only for entertainment. That is what he was thinking. He wanted to play. And even when in 66, when the game was changing, and it was becoming more physical and it wasn't being fun because the European teams like England, they said, we're going to be physical. We're not going to let this Brazilian team run around. We're going to, we're going to chop them down. And that really has become the, a modern game in many ways moving forward. You're not going to be able to have, you're not going to be able to have that free flowing sport ever, ever again. I mean, that's something we have to adapt to when you watch games. The wreckers have always had success, you know, the wrecking balls. He also said, I, I, when talking about the politicals, I help Brazil more with football. And I, I, I can accept that. Why is he going to get into politicals if he's not all into it? Play football because you love. You help so many people. People looked at you, Marvel. And make some coin along the way. You know, he gets criticized because he's always trying to make, he was always, you know, Visa and the, the big sponsors. I think the Simpsons even did where Pele comes in and collects a, a, a bag of money and goes on. Who cares? That's what I would do. If you can make money on this, I mean, it, it's good to be politically involved, but that could have cost him everything if he said the wrong thing. By the sounds of what was happening there, it could have came at a heavy cost. So I don't want to dwell on that too much. But Pele, I, you watch this, it's, it's, as years go by, you, you can't believe that this actually happened, but it did. But I give credit to the others. And even talking about the money, he's like, he, he wanted to have fun. That's why he came to America. They could make some money, but also to have fun in this somewhat of a retirement league. And he certainly did that. Pele, check it out. I don't want to go too much longer. Oh, one last thing. My scene that I loved. He had a reunion with the Santos team. So this in, today, if a Brazilian player of his ilk was good, he would go to Europe. But back then, it wasn't really the case. So they played in Brazil for two decades. He played for Santos that had no football pedigree prior. So fans of that team got to see him for two decades, and they won everything. And they beat the European visitors time and time again. They beat Benfica in the Intercontinental Cup. But he was sitting with his former Santos teammates, and all of them are still alive. And, you know, Pele is now 80. By the way, he just got his COVID vaccine. And one of them said, it was God who put this team together. And I believe that. 
it makes you feel that there is something more at work. This has been the Soccer OG. It's been a pleasure to be with you. We'll be back next week. I'm really excited to be on this ride with you. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and I'll see you very soon.